Cheap grace to that grace that's sold on the market, like the latest low price deal at Walmart. That's cheap grace. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the benefits of religion are thrown away at discount prices when we deal with cheap grace. Grace without price, grace without cost. Nobody points to who paid the price. It's just grace for the taking. Cheap grace means a doctrine, a principle, a system. It means forgiveness of sins proclaimed as a general truth. The love of God proclaimed as a concept. It's an intellectual exercise that's held to be in and of itself sufficient to secure the remission of sins. When we're talking about cheap grace, cheap grace, that's what happens in a church that finds a cheap covering for its sins. No real repentance is required. Cheap grace amounts to a denial of the living word of God. That's cheap grace. Folks just throw it up to you. Cheap grace means justifying sin without justifying the sinner. Grace alone does everything and so everything can remain just like it was before. When we live in a world and by the world standards in every particular sphere of life People want to throw cheap grace up. Grace be unto you, but not Jesus. People don't understand that grace means nothing without Jesus. People won't accept Jesus for who he is and for what he's done. Cheap grace means prayer without passion. Saying love without showing love. Singing in the choir without praising the Lord. Ushering in people without ushering the Spirit preaching Christ without living Christ. That's cheap grace. But it's by the grace of God. Now, I didn't know you were going to sing that song this morning. Cheap grace is the grace we give ourselves. Cheap grace is preaching the forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipline. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ. But costly grace. Somebody in here ought to understand what costly grace is. Grace that costs something. Grace where you understand that somebody paid a price. A price you owe but couldn't pay.
a debt they paid but didn't owe. That's costly grace. It's the kind of grace that for a treasure hidden in a field, a man will drop everything he has, sell it all to go find that, that item. It's the pearl of a great price. A man will sell it to get that pearl. That's what costly grace is. It's the kingly rule of Christ. For whose sake a man will pluck out his eye, which causes him trouble and makes him stumble. That's costly grace. It's the call of Jesus Christ. Where a disciple will leave his nets and go and follow him. It's the gospel that must be fought, sought again and again and again and again. That's costly grace. It's the gift that has to be asked for. It's the door at which a man must knock. That's costly grace. Why is it costly? It's costly because it costs a man his life. And it's grace because it gives a man the only true life he can only have. It's costly because it condemns sin. And it's grace because it justifies the sinner. Costly grace. It's costly because it costs God the life of his son. The Bible tells us we were bought with a price. Above all, the grace is costly because God didn't reckon his son too high a price to send him here for us. That's why it's costly grace. You see, Reverend Sparks, what you going on and on about, the only thing that matters in church? The only thing that matters is the grace of God, how he blesses us. If we don't understand that is the underpinning of our faith, then we need to keep on studying and reaching. Fellowship is good, but fellowship without this grace, it means nothing. I've been trying to talk these last few weeks that I've been preaching about who Jesus Christ says he is. He is the source, the catalyst of this grace that we have. He's the reason we can celebrate. And so listening to his words is probably beneficial, is definitely beneficial to us when it comes to understanding how we too should live. We've talked about him being the bread of life. We talked about him being the gate. He said, I am the gate. I am the bread of life. If you haven't been here and you haven't heard me talk to you about him saying, I am the light of the world. He also taught us, I am the good shepherd. <laughs> he taught us that he is the resurrection and he's the life. It's Jesus. Anybody in here know who Jesus is? I wonder how you know him. He told us who he is, but I wonder what he is to you. I wonder what he means to you. He has his own connection to each one of us. And I wonder if you've ever thought about how you got to him. How'd you learn about him? Some people searched high and low to find someone who could help them with their life. And by the grace of God, they found Jesus Christ. Others still haven't found him. And I think sometimes that's because we don't tell the story enough about how good God has been to us. We just assume when folks see us doing all right that they know it's Jesus. 
Sometimes folk think it's you. They think it's because you're so smart or you're so advantaged. And they don't understand that had it not been for the grace of God, you'd be struggling. Sometimes we don't set the record straight. We want folk to think we're brilliant and smart and wealthy and all those things. And we take credit where credit isn't due. By the grace of God, I'm standing here talking to you today. Do you know how many blessings God had to put together in order for you to sit here today? Just for you to come sit in this sanctuary today. All the stuff that God had to put together for you to sit right here. All the things that had to work just right in order for you to sit here. And can you imagine that there was somebody sitting next to you that it just didn't go right for and they didn't make it. But by God's grace, here you are, here you sit right now. And we take that for granted every day. That it could have been me not making it. Could have been me. I'm so glad that God gave me sense enough to understand that it's about him. I'm so thankful. Today in our continuing lesson on I am, Jesus in his own words, I want to talk about what Jesus did with his disciples just before he was crucified. The conversation he had, he revealed a part of himself to his disciples that is absolutely amazing and I want you to take this lesson and run with it. He told them in John 14 something very unique. Let me read it to you, starting at verse 1, John chapter 14. We often hear this, but we hear this, we hear this passage of Scripture. I don't know why we always, re, we, we always reserve it uniquely for funerals. Sad times. But this is typically when you hear this passage of Scripture. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. You believe also in me, because in my Father's house are many mansions. And if it were not so, I would have told you. Watch this. He said, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there ye may be also. And whether I go, ye know. And the way you know. And then Thomas, who for years has been castigated, knocked down, beat up for having the courage to say what everybody else was thinking. And he said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, Watch this now. Mark this in your, in your Bible if you have it. And Jesus said to him, I am the way. Somebody ought to shout on that. I am the way. Then he doubled down on the carol. He said, not only am I the way, I'm the truth. And then he said, I'm the life. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. Watch this. 
and nobody can come to my father except they come by me. Verse 7, he says, if you had known me, then you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. In 1999, July 16th, matter of fact, my birthday, 1999, John F. Kennedy Jr. and his wife, and his sister-in-law took off from a New York City area airport on their way to Martha's Vineyard for a wedding. He left a little bit later than he had expected, and he took off just as the sun was setting. And even though John F. Kennedy Jr. had logged more than 50 hours of flying time at night, I need you to understand that flying at night over the ocean requires you to be able to fly with instruments only. And he was not certified to fly with instruments only. Just before he reached Martha's Vineyard, According to the National Traffic Safety Board's report, John F. Kennedy Jr. started experiencing what's called spatial disorientation. Somebody ought to hear me on this now. Spatial disorientation. That means that without a horizon to look at visually, and with no lights over the waters of the Atlantic Ocean, he became disoriented. This is where your certification and your training comes in. Because from a sensory perspective, your body will be telling you one thing. But in reality, it's something completely different. Which is why a certified trained pilot knows they have to follow the instruments because the instruments are leading you correctly even if your mind and body tells you it's not. He felt like he was doing one thing and because he felt like he was going the right way, he reacted to that and he flew the plane into the ocean because he thought he was going the right way. Thought he was going the right way. That's right, it's all black. If you've ever had the experience of being on nothing but water, you can't see can from can. You can't see anything. You, if you have nothing to pinpoint, you don't know where the land stops and the water starts. You don't know why the sky stops. And he flew that plane. Prayerfully, he never knew what happened. Now I want you to think about that and watch this. There are some people who are going through life right now who are experiencing spatial disorientation and do not understand. They, they think they're flying right. But they're not. And unfortunately, they won't know it 
until the last instant when they crash. Because can I tell you something? There is a right way. And there is a wrong way. And some people live a wrong way thinking it's the right way. And they don't realize it's the wrong way until it's too late. I came to tell you a hard message today. People will call us arrogant when we tell you this. But can I tell you, this is the message that's got to be told. There's a way unto man that seems right. But the end thereof is destruction. People don't understand that you can't live how you want to live all your life. You can't fly the plane like you want to all your life. Never paying attention to the instruments. Never getting certified for the right way of living. And think you're going to make it to your destination. You will make it to a destination. But it might not be and probably won't be the destination you want. What you hear today from me is going to challenge your feelings, your feelings about what you believe is right and wrong. Many people live their spiritual lives flying by the seat of their pants. They have a folk theology, something in their mind that feels right. But today, Jesus' statements make us run headlong, headlong into a claim where he, in essence, saying, I'm telling you the way it has to be done and how you have to do it. Some of you are flying in a direction that's going to end badly for you unless you change your mind. I didn't come to hear you say amen today. I came to hear you, I mean, I came to tell you the truth. That's my job, to tell you the truth. Nobody likes to be told when they're wrong, especially about beliefs that we hold dear to our heart. No, you've been living like this all your life only to find out that it's been the wrong way. Now, this is not a difficult passage to understand. It's not. There are some passages in the Bible that are just hard to understand. It's not a difficult passage to understand, but it is a difficult passage to accept. Because it sounds at first blush like Jesus is saying there is only one way to God. It sounds at first blush that Jesus would step out on full authority and say there's only one way to get to God. It sounds at first blush that Jesus is being arrogant enough to point the way and the only way is his way. And the reason it sounds like that is because that's exactly what he's saying. He's not shying away from his thesis. When he makes the statement, and you need to hear him when he says, he says, I am the way. I'm the truth. And I'm not like, watch this, watch this now, watch this. There's, he's not saying, I am a way. No, no. He's not saying, I am a truth. No, no, no. He's not saying, I am a life. He's using the absolute article. I am the way. I am the, the. However you say it at the school you came from and the house you came from. The, the, it's the only one. 
Some people want to paint a picture of Jesus as just being this really nice teacher. He was cool. He went around helping folks. You know, we want to reduce it down to something that's palatable emotionally for us. But if that was all Jesus came for, there are plenty of teachers that came. Yeah, no, no, Jesus came with an ultimate mission of rescue. Jesus came with a purpose in mind. And guess what was on his mind when he came to earth? You were. You and your eternal life were on Jesus' mind when he came here. The question is, I wonder if you ever, there's a song that folk used to sing, Does, do I ever cross your mind in time? I wonder if anybody ever thinks about whether Jesus is thinking about them. Jesus is asking the same question. Do I ever cross your mind? I came to live for you. I came to die for you. I was resurrected for you. But do I ever cross your mind in time? I don't know how you can say he was just a good teacher if you don't listen to the lesson. Was he out of his mind? Some folk might say it. That's what they said back in his day. How can he come here and proclaim to be this? They looked at him like he was absolutely out of his mind. John 10 and 20 says, uh, 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 well, he heals the sick with his touch. The rest of his life doesn't appear to be the life of a madman. In other words, how can he do all this good to help folk? Helping folk, giving them sight and healing them. Do all that good and not be the way. But I want you to know now, this isn't, this isn't the first time that Jesus made this statement, not here. Not, not an exclusive statement that, 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 that he's the truth. In fact, in fact, if you want to go and do a little research and back this up, the truth is always about Jesus. He's always talking about the truth. In his statements, John 8 and 58, Jesus was having a debate with a group of religious leaders, church folk, and, and he said this, I tell you the truth. I tell you the truth. You, know, you need to know this, that Jesus used I tell you the truth more than 60 times in the Gospels. He was always referring to what he said as the truth because he said I am. He said, before Abraham was even born, I am. They knew what he was saying. It was blasphemy for him to even use the words, I am. He's trying to tell them, you don't know who you're talking to. Before this one you reverence so much, Abraham was even in existence. I already was. I am. Moses knew that there was one greater than him. He knew that even if he walked up in Pharaoh's house and said, God said, let my folk go. The first thing people going to ask you is, on whose authority? <laughs> Who you mean walking up in here in my house? telling me to let half my economic profit walk out the front door. And today we would say, you and who's on? And Jehovah had already told him, when that question is asked, simply say, I am sent you. So for Jesus to come in and use the same words 
that had been told in the story that all Israelites knew was utter blasphemy. They were ready to stone Jesus to death when he said that. And so the rest of the time that he's standing up saying, I am, they're always provocative statements, always statements designed to elicit a response from those people who otherwise would not hear. You see, they didn't want to hear that he was the way because they were selling and peddling that they were the way. That's why they had to get rid of him after Lazarus was raised. Because here he comes tearing up our whole economic system. You're about to shut the church down if you can raise folk from the dead. And so when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, oh my goodness, we got a problem here. And this problem is named Jesus, and Jesus has got to go. And Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no person can come to the Father except through me. It's an exclusive claim about himself. But what does it mean when he says, I am the way? If I ask you right now, I know everybody raised their hand if I ask you who want to go to heaven. Everybody here raised their hand. The question is, do you know how to get there? Everybody wants to go. Everybody's got a GPS they think will take them straight to heaven. Can I tell you there's only one way? And his name is Jesus. Yeah, there is a right way and a wrong way to go to places. I can tell you that right now. If you wanted to go to Montgomery, there's a right way and a wrong way to get to Montgomery from Birmingham. Somebody might tell you real good and sell you real well on how to get there, and it could be wrong. But it sounds good. In the end, though, Ingrid, you won't be in Montgomery. Even though it sounded good and you had a great time listening to it, you will not have made it to your destination. The same thing happens every day in every way, in churches everywhere. People tell you what they want to tell you. But if they're not telling you about Jesus, then they're not telling you about the way. Look at this, watch this. All, some people come in and, and they want to say all religions are equally true. They all lead to heaven. They're equally valid. Can I tell you something? First of all, no other religion makes that claim. Every other religion tells their believers that their way is the only way. It's only folk trying to be balanced that come in and try to tell you that there's some equality in the ways to get to heaven. I can tell you right now. Buddhists, Hindus, Mormons, they all think that the way they do it is the way it's got to be done. Can I tell you something? When, I, when we say that Jesus Christ is the way, then all we're doing is defending the truth. And in so defending the truth, there's no error in defending the truth. So when is being truthful arrogant? Isn't truth always exclusive? Some folks say they want the truth, but the truth is they can't handle the truth. People struggle with the doctrine of whether there is a God. They, they struggle with that. Is there a God in the first place? 
We're in a situation now where young folk get so much at them, they can't decipher right from wrong. It's hard to pull in one doctrine that works for them, and they feel okay living a life that's rudderless, nothing to guide them, doing good deeds and being kind to people as if ultimately they get you the reward you want. And while I say I love to live in a world where people are all kind, we don't. We don't. We don't live in a world where everybody's kind, where everybody's for everybody and everybody's important. We don't live there. We don't live in a world where bad things never happen. We don't live there. We don't live in a world where people don't take advantage of people who love them. We don't live in that world. My question is, what do you do in the time when you realize that life is not all happy and joyful? Who do you turn to? What's your foundation when your foundation is cracked? Who loves you when you think no one does? That's the world we live in where people are struggling. Jesus is amazing in that he shows kindness and mercy to all people regardless of their faith. And yet he says, I'm the way. In other words, I'm going to take care of you and love you even if you don't follow me. I'm going to be kind to you. That's the kind of Lord we serve. Yeah, we do have an exclusive way to heaven, but that doesn't mean we have to mistreat people on the trip. We got to take care of everybody on the way and prayerfully showing them him and his verses and, 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 his, and his life will help them accept him as well. Jesus genuinely loves people, and people still try to get by faking love. You can't fake love. The ultimate test of love is, will a man give his life, the, the Bible says scarcely will a man give his life for a friend, let alone enemies. And yet Jesus Christ died for all of us. And he came when we didn't have anything, anything to bargain with. He came and gave his life for us. There was no bargaining position. And so I came to tell you today, church, that he's the way. He's the gateway. It's through faith in Jesus Christ that we can enter the new kingdom. And the kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. We got two kingdoms that are offered to us. The kingdom of this world. And that's referred to as the kingdom of darkness. You know this kingdom where it's eat or be eaten. Only the strong survive. Survival of the fittest, that's what this world is. I remember growing up, there was this game we used to play. It's kind of king of the hill. Somebody would find a little hill somewhere and stake out on top. It wasn't nothing but a little dirt pile. I probably played with him too, I don't know. Anyway, you up there, and what you're trying to do is get knocked off. Somebody got to come knock you off the dirt pile. And when they knock you off the dirt pile, that means they replace you as king. Can I tell you that's what happens in America right now? All we're doing is trying to see who can be the head of the dirt pile that we got going on down here. We'll fight and give up everything, sell everything, just to be the head of a dirt pile. At most, when you get to the top, you're the king of the dirt pile. 
Those are the two kingdoms. And then the other kingdom is the kingdom that Jesus Christ, he comes and offers us the kingdom of God, the one that's ruled by a loving king, and, 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 and his name is Jesus. It's got green pastures, and he tells us, as our shepherd, we're going to be near still waters and lead us through all the valleys of life. And he's not saying we're not going to experience things in those valleys, but he does tell us he'll be with us. Oh, I want to serve someone who can be with me. Because too many times in this life, I feel by myself. I just feel alone, and I just need somebody who not only knows the way, but who's going to take care of me along the way. Because every now and then, I try to call somebody. I need to talk to them on this side, and they're unavailable to talk to me. And even if they are available, they don't know what to tell me. They can't help me because they're struggling on the walk themselves. But I got one who says he knows the way. And the reason he knows the way, Sister Hall, is because he is. He is the way. Not only is he the way, he's the truth. There's nothing about him that's not truthful. Everything he says is truthful. He tells us he's the truth. There's amazing that people won't believe this truth. They won't believe the words in this truth. But if you go to John chapter 1, he tells you that if you can believe the words in here, you have to believe him because he is the word. In other words, everything that's in here, I wrote it because it's about me. So how can you not believe that he is the truth? He's the truth. Pilate asked Jesus, he said, are you a king? Pilate was the king, the one, the governmental official who was in charge. For those of you who don't know, he was the one in charge of deciding whether Jesus was going to be crucified. He asked Jesus, are you a king? And Jesus said, you bet I am. He said, you have well said. You have said. Yeah, see, Pilate didn't know what he was saying. He was asking a question he didn't know the answer to. And the reason why he could say, you have well said, is because it's the truth. He's in charge. And Pilate didn't know what the truth was when he asked Jesus about it. And he asked him that, what is the truth? And Jesus said to him simply, I'm the truth. I'm the truth. You ask a question and I'm telling you the answer. Truth is a person. Jesus is that person. He's the embodiment of truth. Everything he said, every word he said, is why we can say without conviction that Jesus is the most brilliant teacher, the greatest human being ever lived. We can teach every word he said because it's, it's truth. And so not only is he the way and he the truth, He's also the life. Can I tell you? He's the life. I don't know about your life. But Jesus Christ says, there's a way you can live with me. That's a good life. Don't always mean it's a prosperous life. But it's a hopeful life. It's a life that's underpinned by knowing where you're going 
understanding what you're going to get in the end. This is important, that you understand that there are no, there's no guesswork at the end of this life. You don't get to the end and have a let's make a deal moment where you got to choose door number one, number two, or number three. You already know what the conclusion is at the end of this life with him. We can believe him because what shepherd would jeopardize his sheep? And doesn't he tell us that he's the good shepherd? And the good shepherd is only going to lead his sheep to the right pastures. He's only going to lead his sheep to the right places. And so when Jesus refers to himself as the way, the truth, and the life, he's given us a better way to live our lives through him. That's the problem. In order to experience this life, you got to live your life through him, in relationship with him, following the tenets and the precepts that he lays out. And that's the rub, because people don't want to do it his way. They want to do it my way. If you do it your way, then you get your recompense at the end. In other words, you get the pay you saw that you can give if you do it your way. But if you do it Jesus' way, can I tell you, I hadn't even seen, Amen. nor has any ear heard. Can I tell you that it hadn't even entered into the heart, to the hearts of man, what he has prepared for us. And he said, I'm going to get it ready for you. See, that was a that was an Israeli, that was a Hebrew uh, uh, practice that before a big event, the leader of the group or the master of the group would send somebody in his party ahead to get the place ready. The host would send somebody ahead and they get the place ready. You saw it before Jesus celebrated the Passover. He sent some disciples ahead and said, make ready a room. Well, just like he had him prepare that place for his, res for his uh, uh, Passover celebration with the disciples before he told them, I am the truth, the way, and the life, he also has gone ahead. He said it, Ms. Johnson. He said it. I'm going to prepare a place for you. In other words, I'm not going to give it over to any disciples. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to get a place ready. Now, let me say this to you. We can stop all this worldly arrogance about what kind of place we're going to live in when we get up there. The terminology that's used is for a dwelling. A dwelling. Everybody want a mansion when they get to heaven. Does it matter? Does it, does it matter what you live in when you get to heaven? As long as you can get in there. Some of us just going to slide in anyway. Soon as they close in the cloud, you got your foot in. I know I'll be right behind you. I just want to make it in there. Yes, sir. Yeah. Give me a sheet in the cloud and I'm all right. I can sleep right here, Lord. <laughs> yes, sir. I'll be at choir rehearsal in the morning. <laughs> but will you be there? Do you know if you're going to make it? He's going to get it ready. I don't have any doubt that he's preparing a place for me. And can I tell you, there's a word I love to hear when it comes, when it comes to living with the Lord. You know that word? It's forever. 
forever. You don't even have to try to wrap your mind around what the definition of forever is. It's just bigger than we can know, longer than we can expect. Do you know if you'll be there? Do you know? If you don't know whether you'll be there, then that's the hardest decision in life you'll ever make. Is whether you want to give your life to him. I held back a long time. I kept trying to do it myself. I kept trying to walk the way. Folk introduced me to him. And I was, the song said, too shy to shy. I was trying to act all coy. I got it, Jesus. I handled it till I got old enough to realize that I was making a mess of me. This is long before I started preaching. This is when I was just reaching for something better. Preaching is separate. But I finally got it. I finally realized that he's the kind of God who's good for every situation, for celebrating, for sadness, for whatever you got going on in your life, he can be there. I thought I could depend on my mom. The day came when I couldn't no more. Thought I could depend on some other folk around here. All that shifted. But I can tell you right now, he's never let me down. He's never not come through. Do you know him? If you don't know him, now's the time for you to accept him. Can I tell you, he lived for you, and he died for you, and God resurrected him for you. Yeah, here come some leaders. They know about him. They're coming to welcome you. If you decide today is your day, then I'm inviting you to come and get on the way with us. Doors of our church are wide open. Whosoever will, let them come right now.